Well, good morning, everybody. Um, in 2010, early 2010, God began to call my wife and I, or, or he didn't begin in 2010, he, he made it firm in 2010 that he was calling my wife and I to, to plant churches. And we, uh, we thought maybe we'd go to Athens, Georgia, which is where we went to college. We went to college at the University of Georgia, and it was there that we met the Lord. And uh, so, so Athens, Georgia was about 30 miles from our home, our family, and that, that made sense to us, you know, uh, go about 30 miles down the road, plant a church there, a place that we're familiar with, a place that we love. And so that was kind of the plan. And um, our, our church at the time, Greystone, was on board with that. They actually wanted to plant a church in Athens. And so they said, hey, we'll help you do that. And everything seemed to be lining up. I can even remember going out to Athens with Zach and Don and eating dinner and talking about what a church would look like in Athens. And so we were moving down that road. And then um, we got this crazy idea that maybe God might want to call us somewhere else. <laughs> and um, so we, we surrendered to that. And we said, God, you know, we'll go wherever you say go. And then in August 2010, we came across this article by a pastor named Jared Wilson, who has a church in Vermont and we read that together, and as we read it, I mean, something supernatural happened. God just broke us for New England. And we knew right then that God was calling us to plant churches in New England. And so we said, okay. We got on our knees once again together, and we said, all right, Lord, we'll go to New England. And we didn't know where yet. And it was December, December 12, 2010, the Lord spoke to us and said to go to Wilmington, Vermont, to plant a church. So then 2011 was like year of preparation. It was, we, we raised um, support that year, just like a missionary would to go out somewhere. And then we, we were receiving training during that year. And in January of 2012, our church brought our family, the Caldell family, up front. They prayed for us and they commissioned us. They sent us out. And this morning, um, Ben Whittinghill and Kayla Whittinghill, they are right now probably saying goodbyes to, to family, to loved ones, to friends. Uh, and, and they are going to be tomorrow morning. Ben is getting in his moving truck and they are coming here. And they're going to be arriving Tuesday and, and moving to Brattleboro to plant Rivertown Church in Brattleboro. And um, after a few months, maybe six months or so, of Ben being an intern here and of their, their team getting plugged in here and getting training and that kind of thing, we're going to commission them. We're going to bring them up to the front of the church. We're going to pray for them, lay hands on them, and we're going to send them out to go to Brattleboro to plant. And that's been the plan all along is that Valleytown would not just be a new church for Wilmington, but that we would be a sending church, a church planting church. And this morning, what we're going to look at in Acts is, is Acts chapter 13. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. We're going to be talking about um, churches that plant churches. We're going to be looking at um, a commissioning service in Acts chapter 13. I'm only going to cover three verses but uh, don't worry, I'll still, I'll still talk for a long time. 
Um, I'm sure that's what you're what you're wanting. Um, but but yeah, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and read Acts chapter 13 and verses one through three, and then we're gonna talk about it. It says, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So much like Valleytown Church, Antioch was a church plant. You'll remember we talked about a few weeks ago, back in Acts chapter 11, um, that men from Cyprus and Cyrene went about, because of the persecution, they were spread out and they were going around preaching the Lord Jesus. It says that they went to Antioch preaching the Lord Jesus. And as a result, people were getting saved. And the church in Jerusalem heard about this and they sent Barnabas. They said, Barnabas, go encourage them, establish that church there. Barnabas goes and the Lord is adding to their number. They're growing. And he goes and he gets Saul. He, he recruits Saul to come and to help him. So Barnabas and Saul are now leading the way there in Antioch. And Saul is going to later be known as Paul, but... He's still being referred to as Saul, so don't get confused by that. I'm going to refer to him as Saul this morning. But his name's going to change here as we move through Acts. So, um, so Barnabas and Saul um, are leading this church, and this church is flourishing. I mean, they're doing really well. And um, Antioch is becoming a major player in what God is doing in the kingdom. And these leaders are... Together, they're, they're worshiping, they're fasting, and the Holy Spirit says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And um, <clears throat> what we're going to see as we move through Acts is that the work that they were called to was to go and preach the gospel in new places and plant churches. And so this story is actually about church planting. Um, and that's something that we're obviously really passionate about here at Valleytown. If we weren't passionate about church planting, then we wouldn't be here, and we wouldn't be calling Ben and Kayla to leave family and friends and a church that they love to come and plant a church in Brattleboro. But we're passionate about church planting because God is passionate about church planting. And all we have to do is read the New Testament to see that. So um, I want us to look at this statement that the Holy Spirit makes to the leaders of the church in Antioch. We're going to break that down and, and talk about what the Holy Spirit's saying to them and how the church responds to that. And I only have four points in my talk this morning. It's nice and simple. Um, and my first point is this. Kingdom advancement requires a death to self. Kingdom advancement requires death to self. The first words the Holy Spirit uses here are set apart. Set apart. Saul and Barnabas. Barnabas and Saul. The word in the original Greek language literally means to separate, to, to separate, to tear apart. Um, you, have to, you have to think about what this meant for these guys, that, that they were good friends, that they had a church that they loved, that they had routines, that they had, you know, ministry, that they were 
that they were thriving in. And, and the Holy Spirit says, set apart Barnabas and Saul. Separate. I want you to die to your selfish desires, to your own desires. These guys were good friends. They'd eaten meals together to be sure. They'd agonized in prayer together. I mean, they were close. They were a family. And the Holy Spirit says, set them apart. The Holy Spirit wants these friends to separate for the sake of the kingdom. He wants them to be separate for what he's planned for them. And do you think that this would have been tough? Do you think it would have been hard? Absolutely it would have been hard. Absolutely. Um, but, but what it doesn't say is it doesn't say that the church then took a vote. It says they laid hands on them and they sent them off. They obeyed. It wasn't going to be comfortable. Um, and, and so the kingdom advancing requires us to die to ourselves. Here's what I mean when I say that. Here's what I mean for our church. If, if Valleytown Church is going to be a kingdom advancing church, then it means that we have to die to preference, to comfort, to our selfishness. The, Jesus talked about this all the time. He said in John 12, verses 24 through 26 in the New Living Translation, he, he says, I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to be my disciple must follow me. He's saying, if you're willing to give up your life, if you're willing to lose your life for my sake, then you can produce more disciples, many more disciples. Kingdom advancement requires a death to self. He said this kind of thing frequently in Matthew 16, 24 through 26. He said it this way. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? When Jesus says, take up your cross, he's talking about the Roman tool for capital punishment. This, this wasn't just a, an ornament that people wore around their neck. This was a brutal death. It's like Jesus saying, it's the equivalent of him saying to us, take up your electric chair and follow me. Be willing to die, dying to yourself. Kingdom advancement requires death to self. You know, some of you are... Christ's followers, and, and you, you've experienced that He gives us new life. But even if you have received that new life, there is still the flesh that battles against that. And you, you know that 
You have to die daily to that. You have to lay down your desires for comfort and security and safety for the sake of the kingdom. But here's the the thing about it. Those of you who have done that, you know that there is great reward in dying to self. Jesus came that we would have life to the full. He offers us real life. We're living for, for temporary things. And he offers us purpose and meaning. The Bible says that our life is like a vapor that's here one moment and then gone the next. Our days are numbered. This life is short. But we can have purpose. We can live for eternal things, not for temporary things. The Holy Spirit says, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul. We've got to be willing to be set apart for the kingdom advancement. Then he says, for the work, set apart, Barnabas and Saul, for the work. And what is this work that they're called to? It's, it's church planting. It's, it's church planting. That's what, that's what they end up doing. The kingdom of God advances primarily through church planting. Through the proclamation of the gospel, and as the gospel is proclaimed, new believers are the result, and new believers in a new place form new churches. The kingdom advances through church planting and gospel proclamation. And so, the Holy Spirit wants them to be set apart for the work of kingdom advancement through church planting. And that brings me to my second point. Kingdom advancement is our highest priority. It's our highest priority. It's never just about what God is doing right here. It's never just about what God is doing at Valleytown. It's never just about what God is going to do in this community. Valleytown is a part of the kingdom of God. But just a part. And our highest priority isn't Valleytown. We aren't trying to grow our little kingdom. We are about the kingdom of God. The advancing kingdom is our highest priority. And it was the highest priority of the church in Antioch. Or else they would have never given up Saul and Barnabas. Their top leaders. But it's always been about God's global glory. Jesus said in the, in the Great Commission, He said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. The advancing kingdom is a global kingdom. And the kingdom of God is our highest priority. It's all about Jesus and his kingdom. It's not about us. It never has been. I think that this church in Antioch it was probably painful for them to release their, their beloved leaders. But I don't believe they suffered as a result. I believe that God blesses us when we give generously. And when we seek God's kingdom as our highest priority, He takes care of everything else. It says, Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God 
and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. When we put His kingdom first, all other things are added to us. And as a church, we don't want to put our welfare above the kingdom of God ever. I think we need to understand what God was asking of the church in Antioch. He's asking them to make a huge sacrifice. He's asking them to give up their leaders. He's asking them to separate. He's asking them to have a mentality that says, kingdom advancement is our top priority, not our advancement. Let me illustrate the difference between these. I have a slide. That kind of illustrates the different questions that we might ask. If, if, it's, if it's about Valley Town, if it's Valley Town first, then we might ask questions like, how big can our church get? But if we have a kingdom mentality, putting the kingdom as our highest priority, then we would ask, how many churches can we plant? If it's about Valley Town first, then we might ask, how can we keep our best people? But if it's a kingdom mentality, kingdom first, we would ask, who can we send out for kingdom advancement? If it's a valley town first mentality, then we might ask, how much money can we save up to be secure? If it's a kingdom first mentality, it's how much money can we give away? If it's a valley town first mentality, we we might ask, will people talk about how great we are? But if it's a kingdom mentality, we'll ask, will people see how great God is? So our highest priority will be kingdom advancement, not valley town advancement. I think that the church in Antioch didn't suffer for releasing uh, Barnabas and Saul. I believe that God fills those gaps when a church is generous with their people. Um, this is a principle that we learn in the Bible when it comes to giving of our finances. We talked about this several months ago. God wants us to be generous with our money. And he says, he says it this way in Malachi 3.10. He says, bring all the tithes. Tithe is 10% of your income. Bring all the tithes into the storehouses so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out blessings so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. When it comes to giving our money, God says, test me. See if you can outgive me. See if you can be more generous than me. Give Me your tithe and see what I do to the other 90%. Test me and see if you can outgive me. And he says, if you do that, I will pour out blessing on you so great you won't be able to take it in. And I believe that God wants the church to be generous with our money. But I think the church is to be generous with our people. I mean... Our greatest resource is our people. So God may want to send some of you out. I mean, he might, he might be calling you 
If, if he does, will we miss you? Yes. Yeah, we'll miss you. But I believe that God will bless us. I believe that he will fill the gaps. I think God wants us as individuals to be generous with our money and the church to be generous with our money. But I think he wants the church especially to be generous with our people. And that's what we see in this church in Antioch. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's about his kingdom advancing. And who gets to decide? I mean, who, 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 who makes that decision about who's being called out, who's being sent out? The Holy Spirit decides. Notice that the passage in Acts says, The Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And that brings me to my third point. Kingdom advancement is led by the Holy Spirit. It's led by the Holy Spirit. Some of you, as soon as I even mentioned that maybe you would be called out of here, you immediately thought, well, not me. Not me. Well, if that was you, then this portion of my sermon is for you, okay? The Holy Spirit decides these things, not us. Don't limit what God might do through you. It's about God and His power and His ability, not, not us, not our abilities. I mean, I promise you that if you had come to me 10 years ago, right after I got saved, and said, in, in just a few years, you're going to be living in Vermont, preaching and planting churches, I would have said, you're crazy. You're absolutely out of your mind. I had no idea what God's plan for me was. In three years, some of you will be doing things in God's kingdom that if God told you right now what that was, you wouldn't believe Him. Seriously. You would not believe Him if He told you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Who knows the plans that God has for us? God does. God does, not us. We don't know until, until He tells us. In Ephesians 2.10, says that we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God prepared good works for you. To walk in. God decides he's the one who leads, not us. So if you immediately said, well, not me. I want to challenge you to change that to, Lord, send me. I'll go. Send me. Don't limit God. Don't don't count yourself out. What if God says, Set apart Joshua and Natasha for the work to which I have called them to. What do we say? Do we say, no, they're too valuable to us? No. We, we'll do what the church in Antioch did. We will lay hands on them and pray for them and send them out. Because the Holy Spirit decides these things, not us. And that's what it says in verse 
3. It says that after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. They sent them to plant other churches. The church in Antioch, in response to the leading of the Holy Spirit, simply obeyed. And that brings me to my fourth point. The kingdom advances as churches plant churches. The church in Antioch didn't argue. They didn't take a vote. They said, okay. And they prayed and they sent them off. And this was the beginning of very fruitful ministry. We can tell by studying the New Testament that Saul, later Paul, planted at least 14 churches. At least. Author and church planter Neil Cole believes that there's evidence that he planted more like 20. 20 churches. Think about that. What if the church in Antioch had said, we can't send these guys. They're just, they're too valuable to us in the the church here is growing, and, but they didn't. And as a result, this church plant in Antioch became a church planting church. In just a few short months, Valley Town is going to be a church planting church. In a few days, this church that's not even two years old yet, is going to receive its first church planting intern. That's really exciting. That's really, really exciting. That is what keeps me up at night, is thinking about planting churches. Planting churches. It's not, it's not just about God's glory here in Wilmington. That is a huge part of our mission, but we want to be about his advancing kingdom globally throughout New England and beyond. So if you've been a part of church for a while before, you have kind of maybe already some set thinking, this this kind of stuff can be challenging for you. The idea of a church just releasing people and letting them go. But that's what we see in Scripture. That's the model that we see in Scripture. The church is not so much a landing zone as it is a launching pad. And if we begin to think inwardly about how we can keep our best and how we can... Then we, we just sign... We, just, we, we begin to die right then. We're never meant to be turned inward. We're always meant to be turned outward. Thinking about those who don't yet know Jesus. And it's that kind of thinking. It's that kind of mentality that will cause God to bless this church. So we're not a landing zone. We're not a landing zone. We're a launching pad. We're not a pond, but a river. Ponds get nasty. They get nasty. So here's where it gets really practical for us. What about you? Are you set apart for the work that God has for you? Are you willing to separate from the stuff of this world that holds your attention? Are you willing to die 
to your own desires for the sake of the kingdom? Are you willing to die to your preference and your comfort? And are you willing to let him lead? Will you put kingdom advancement as your highest priority? Or are you living for your little kingdom, your life? You can't serve two masters, Jesus said. Will you live for his kingdom? What you were created to live for? Or will you live for your kingdom? Are you seeking Jesus and his kingdom first? And will you be willing to let the Holy Spirit lead you wherever he says go? If you've been saying, not me, would you say, Lord, send me? Lord, send me wherever. I'll do whatever. There's nowhere better for you than the center of God's will. And if that means you getting out of your comfort zone, which it most likely does, that is the best place for you to be. And then when he leads, will you obey? Like the church in Antioch, will you, will you say yes? Will you obey? Will you go where he says to go? Maybe you are a follower of Jesus, but somewhere along the line, you've allowed your kingdom to become your highest priority. Well, this morning, you have the opportunity to lay that down and say no. Not my will, but your will. Not my kingdom, your kingdom. Maybe you have gotten your priorities mixed up and the kingdom of God hasn't been your highest priority. Well, you have the opportunity right now. God says, lay that down. Turn and follow me. Repent. It means to, to lay down doing it your way and to turn and do it his way. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you are listening to this and you, you go, you know, I don't think I, this just, this doesn't really click. I don't feel like I really know Jesus. Maybe you've never put your trust in Jesus. Maybe you've never, you've never felt like God has forgiven you of your sin. Well, I have really good news for you. Jesus Christ, the God-man, he came to earth and he lived a perfect, sinless life. He fulfilled the Father's will 100%. He lived the life that we could never live and then he died the death that we should have died. He took our place, he took our punishment on himself and he died a bloody and brutal death on a cross. And he took on himself the wrath of God and he took on himself the penalty for our sin and he absorbed it. And he died in our place. And then he was buried and three days later he conquered death. And he rose from the grave and then he ascended into heaven and Jesus is alive. And he's seated on a throne, and he is ruling, and he is reigning, and he is king. 
And he will be king forever. And one day, we will all bow. We can bow our knee now or we can bow later. There is coming a judgment. One day, every single one of us will stand before God and we will be judged. And either he will look at us and say, not guilty. You've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And I see the righteousness of Jesus and not your sin. Or for others of us, we will be condemned. Because we never, we never received the free gift of eternal life through Christ. One day every single one of us will stand before God. That's the reality. And it's going to come down to what we did with Jesus. Did we turn and follow him? Did we run to the cross and say, forgive me? And put our trust in Jesus or did we reject him? This morning, if, if that's you, if you've been rejecting Jesus, if you've been just living life your way, doing life your way, and you've never put your trust, you've never put your, your faith, your confidence in Jesus, turning to Him in repentance, laying down, doing life your way, you have an opportunity this morning, right now, to do that. Don't wait. Don't put this off. You're not, you're not promised tomorrow. None of us are. We don't know how long we have. So right now I'm going to ask the band to come back up and we're going to pray. And I want us to just bow our heads, close our eyes. If you, if you feel like you don't know Jesus... You, you want to know him. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to bow our heads, close our eyes, and you do business with God. You, you be honest with him. And tell him, God, God, I want forgiveness through Jesus. I want to turn. I want to repent. I want to follow you. Bow your heads now. Close your eyes. If that's you, you tell him that. Be honest with him. He will give you a new start in Jesus. He will give you new life in Jesus. He loves you. He wants to forgive you. While everyone's heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if that was you, if you just now, for the first time, for the very first time, put your faith in Jesus. I want you to look up at me, make eye contact with me. 
All right. Thank you. All right. Father, we, we praise you for those who this morning have put their trust in your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you are a saving God. We thank you that, Jesus, you reign and you are king and you will be king forever. And that you invite us into your kingdom now, today. And God, I pray that you would use us to be a church about your kingdom advancing globally. A church that lives for your glory. God, I pray that you would break us for the lost. That we would be burdened and pray. And that we would go and take the gospel to those who don't know you. I pray, Lord, that we would put your kingdom as our highest priority. That we would let your Holy Spirit lead us and that we would obey in whatever it is that you say to do. If you looked up at me, if you're one who looked up at me just now, as everyone stands in just a moment to worship, I want you to come to the back and talk to me. For just a second, I want to get you a couple resources. That's it. God, we thank you so much for what you're doing this morning. We thank you for salvation through Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, everyone, you can stand and we'll worship.